Once again, if you're visiting with us this morning, welcome. Glad that you're here. We're making our way through the book of Exodus, and we find ourselves in Exodus chapter 13 this morning. You see that printed in your bulletin. Can you imagine waking up one day and not being able to remember who you are? You can't remember your name. You can't remember your family. You can't remember what you do for a living. You can't remember your friends. You can't remember your hometown. Can you imagine waking up one day and your entire story, your whole history, the whole grand narrative of who you are, where you came from, why you're there, it's just not there. You can't access it. It's blank. It's gone. It's, it's scary to imagine, but it happens. It's, it can happen after traumatic injury of some kind. Um, we have a name for it. It's called retrograde amnesia. There's different kinds of amnesia, but this one is called retrograde amnesia. And in most cases, after the accident, the person can function just fine. They remember how to talk. They remember how to do things. They remember how to function. They can walk and talk and do everything like that. That's not affected. But what is affected is their ability to access their story, their history, who they are and where they came from, what life was like before the accident. Um, this happens to the main character in a, a series of movies or books that you may have seen, The Born Identity, The Born Identity series. And maybe you've, maybe you've seen it. Jason Bourne, you remember, he wakes up in a boat out in the middle of the ocean with three bullets in his back, and he has no idea who he is, where he came from, how he got there. And as the movie goes along, Jason realizes that he has these amazing abilities, these incredible instincts, right? He can speak multiple languages fluently. He can kill lots of people at one time with any kind of weapon. He can walk into a room and he immediately knows who's following him or, or who's, who's suspect, right? He knows jujitsu. He doesn't know why, though. He has all these amazing abilities and qualities he just doesn't know how he got them or what they're there for, or who he is, because he, he doesn't know. He can't remember the overarching narrative of his life. He can't remember anything about his past. And so over the course of the, of the story, he's trying to remember. He's trying to gain access. He's trying to solve the mystery of his identity, his past, his story. And you know, we're a lot like that, aren't we? We can so quickly and easily forget the overarching narrative of our lives, the true story of, of who we are and why we're here. We all live out of the story that we believe to be true about ourselves, and we can, we can quickly and easily forget the true story and live out of a different and lesser narrative. You know, it's, a, it's impossible to sin against God without first forgetting something about God. In the nanoseconds prior to every thought, word, deed, and attitude that goes against God, there's always, every time, without exception, a failure to remember, to remember who he is, what he's done, to remember who we are by his grace, to remember his holiness and love and goodness. We struggle to remember, don't we? We just confess this. We forgot again that the world can't satisfy we forgot again the bitter taste of those sins that we just keep returning to. We forget over and over that this world is in our home and that nothing outside of Jesus 
can ever satisfy. We're always forgetting. Just like Jason Bourne, we're always suffering from retrograde gospel amnesia, aren't we? And God knows this better than anyone. That's why throughout the Bible, one of the most common invitations that he has for his people is the invitation to remember. He's always reminding us of the true story of who we are and who he is. He's always calling us to remember the overarching narrative that our lives take place in. And that's what he's doing here in Exodus 13, our passage this morning that we're about to read together. God knows that he's about to rescue from slavery. He's he's finally about to bring out of Egypt a very forgetful people. He's about to lead out of Egypt about two million Jason Bournes who are going to forget the true story and the overarching narrative that their lives take place in. He knows that he's about to take out of Egypt and towards the promised land a very forgetful people that will one day wake up in the promised land in their own houses as a free people, in a land flowing with milk and honey, and they're going to look around and they won't remember how they got there. So what does God have to say to his very forgetful people then and now? What does God want us to remember? Let's read and find out. Exodus 13, this is God's word. The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. Then Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery. For by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. Today in the month of Abib you are going out. And when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, you shall keep this service in this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall not be eaten for seven days. No leavened bread shall be seen with you, and no leaven shall be seen with you in all your territory." You shall tell your son on that day, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. And it shall be a sign to you on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand, the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this statute at its appointed time from year to year. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers, As he swore to you and your fathers, and shall give it to you, you shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of the donkey you shall redeem with the lamb, or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. And when in time to come your son asks you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. From the house of slavery. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore, I sacrificed to the Lord all the males that first opened the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be as a mark on your hand and frontlets between your eyes, for by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the, 
of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And they moved on from Succoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in the pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would come now by your Spirit and carve out for us ears to hear and give us eyes to see so that, yes, you might give us new information by your word, but, but that you might recall to our memories and stamp it onto our minds and impress it on our hearts, even things that we have learned before but need to be reminded again in new and fresh ways. Lead us, Lord Jesus, to yourself. We pray this, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen. So we finally made it to Exodus 13. If you've been following along with us ever since Exodus 1, you know that this has been a long, painful, traumatic series of events that's leading up to this time. But we are finally at go time. The people of Israel are finally going to get out. The traffic light is finally green for God's people to get out of Egypt. Their bags are packed. Their sandals are tight. They've eaten their last meal Before hitting the road, it's finally go time. We're here. But just before they walk out, just before they walk out their doors to leave, these doors that would have still been dripping with blood from the top and the sides with lamb's blood, just before they leave, it's like God taps Moses on the shoulder and says, actually, hold on a minute. Before you go, there's something we need to talk about before you leave. We need to talk about the fact that you're very likely to forget all of this. You're very likely to forget that all of this ever happened. Your slavery, your misery, the harshness of the Egyptian captors, you're likely to forget how you got to where I'm taking you. You'll get there and you'll forget all of this. The main central fact of your existence about who you are that I've loved you and saved you and redeemed you and delivered you and brought you out, you're very likely to wake up one day and not remember any of it. And so God says, this is how much I love you. Before you forget, I want to give you some memory aids for your gospel amnesia so that when you get to where I'm taking you, you won't forget And so that's what he does here in Exodus 13, and that's how we're going to approach our passage this morning. I want to think about it under two headings. First of all, our need to remember, and then what we need to remember. That's where we're going. Our need to remember, and then what we need to remember. So first of all, our need to remember in the first place. Think about this. In verses 3 through 16, God gives Moses instructions for two memory aids to help with our gospel amnesia. He gives them two practices, two two rituals, 
to rhythms to lean into that were intended to function as, as memory, pre, memory aids, memory prodders for his forgetful people to remember the central main facts of their story, who they are. And in verses 3 through 10, the first one is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And then the second one is the redeeming of the firstborn, this ritual that, that is explained in verses 11 through 16. God is telling to Moses here, I'm giving you a prescription for your memory problem. These two things are going to help you remember when you get to where I'm taking you. They're going to burn the truth into your heart. They're going to stamp it into your soul. They're going to help you rehearse and remember who you are and and how you got to where I'm taking you so that you don't forget. And notice how God describes these two two rituals, these two rhythms that he gives to his people. Verse 9, he he calls the Feast of Unleavened Bread a a sign on your hand and a memorial between your eyes. Then he uses very similar language to talk about the redeeming of the firstborn in verse 16. He calls that a mark on your hand and frontlets between your eyes. All right, now think about that. A sign or a mark on your hand. Imagine a big, giant, colorful tattoo on, your, on the top of your hand so that whatever you do with your hands, you always see that first. It's always right there in front of your eyes. You, can't, you literally cannot make a cup of coffee or do anything with your hands without seeing that sign on it to remind you that it's there. And a memorial or, a, or what, what he calls a frontlet between your eyes. That's something, it's like a strap that's tied around your your head, behind your ears, with something that's literally hanging down right in front of your nose, so that wherever you look, you're always looking past that. You literally can't see anything in the world around you without seeing that first. Now, he's using metaphorical language here. He's not literally telling them to tattoo their hands, and he's not literally telling them to tie something around their their heads. He's, he's saying, these rituals that I'm giving you, they'll be like that. They'll be like that. Um, they'll function like this in your daily, yearly rhythms. I'm going to stamp it onto your, onto your rhythms because this is how bad your memory problem is. Like, it's kind of an indictment on our ability to remember isn't it? God is saying, this is how serious your gospel amnesia is. If it's not tattooed on your hands, if it's not staring you in the face every day, all day long, you're going to forget. God doesn't seem to have a very high opinion of our capacity to remember, does he? It's as if he's saying, if the true story If the true overarching narrative of who you are and how you got here, if it's not staring you back in the face all day long, you're going to forget. You're going to buy into a different, lesser narrative. Another way to understand yourself, to understand your story, you'll forget and you'll replace the true story with a different, lesser story unless it's staring you in the face. And notice something else. Notice when Israel will be tempted to forget. Notice when they'll need these memory aids. You would think that God would be saying, okay, Israel, your your next few years in the wilderness, out in the hot, weary desert, it's going to be really hard, and you're going to be tempted to forget there. You're going to be tempted to forget 
when you're tired and weary and homeless out in the desert making your way towards the promised land. But notice that's not what he says. Notice he says it's in the promised land that you'll be tempted to forget. That it's not necessarily when, when life is so hard out in the wilderness. It's actually when life gets a lot easier in the promised land. When you're in a land flowing with milk and honey. When you're free and settled When life is great, when you've got money in the bank and things are going your way and you finally arrived at the life that you've always dreamed of, that's when you'll be tempted to forget, he's saying. This is when you'll wake up with gospel amnesia and you'll be tempted to forget me. You'll be tempted to forget everything that I've done for you. You'll be tempted to forget that none of this belongs to you anyway, and that it's all a gift of grace, you'll be tempted to forget that you can't find joy in my gifts and apart from me, the giver. He's saying it's in the promised land that you'll forget. So let me ask you this. Let's pause right there. What have you forgotten recently? Maybe not because life is so hard, but maybe because life is a little bit easier. Maybe things have been going decent for you lately. What aspects of the true story about who you are by grace and about who God is have you forgotten? What different lesser narrative have you been living in? You know, a good way to find that out, a good way to, a good way to maybe diagnose what the answer to that may be is to ask yourself the question, What have I been worrying about lately? What's been making me anxious? What have I been obsessing over? What am I scared of? You know, sometimes you can follow your fears like a trail of breadcrumbs, and they'll lead you to the different lesser narrative that you're living in because you might have bought into a smaller view of who God is when you follow your fears. Or maybe you can follow your your desires, your deepest wants, and what's really been animating you and motivating you. Follow what you've been finding joy in, and it might lead you to the place where you've forgotten that God is your supreme and only joy, to the place where you've forgotten that our hearts are restless until they find their rest in God. What have you been forgetting lately? And what might God be calling you to remember this morning? That's our need to remember. Secondly, what we need to remember. What is it that God wants his people then and now to remember with these two memory aids? Well, two things. Two central core aspects of the true story. He wants us to remember, first of all, where we came from. And then secondly, who we belong to. Okay? where we came from, and who we belong to. The Feast of Unleavened Bread, um, it's a memory aid to remind Israel where they've come from. Look at verse 3. He says, Remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Five times in this paragraph, you see this language repeated of coming out of Egypt, out of Egypt. By a strong hand, the Lord brought you out of this place. 
You shall tell your son on that day is because of what the Lord did for you or did for me when I came out of Egypt. He's really hammering that in. The coming out of Egypt is associated with this feast of unleavened bread. And so this yearly ritual of only eating unleavened bread is meant to recreate the scene on a yearly basis of their memory of leaving Egypt. He wants them to taste it. He wants to rub their noses in it. He wants them to smell it and feel it and remember everything about that night and leading up to that night. He wants, he wants, the, he wants their ears to hear those screams again of the Egyptian parents around them losing their firstborn children. He wants them to remember the urgency of that they didn't even have time to make a normal meal that night. He wants them to remember the sight and the smell of walking past every door in their neighborhood that had blood all over it. He wants to recreate the scene and make them relive it over and over and over again, to rehearse it so they don't forget where they came from, that God brought them out of Egypt. Now, you might, be, you might hear me saying that. You might be thinking, how in the world could they possibly forget that? Like, it's really traumatic, right? Like this is a national collective traumatic event that you would think they would not move on from, right? How could they possibly forget that? Well, the answer is pretty easy, right? I mean, think about this. Um, think about your great-grandparents or your great-great-great-great-great-great-grandparents. You know, just a, a few generations down the line. And imagine what to them would have been the most earth-shattering, central kind of piece of the story of the world that they're living in at that time. The Civil War, the, the Great Depression, something like that. And those moments for our ancestors, just a, few, just a few generations back in the family tree, they would have thought there's no way ever that people will forget about this. And guess what? Did you think about that much this week? Did it have much to do with your daily rhythms over the last week or month? Did you wake up thinking about it? No. Life goes on. Seasons come and go. And, and later generations can easily forget what an earlier generation would have said is impossible to forget. That's why God is specifically saying these memory aids, these memory aids for your gospel amnesia, they're not only for you, they're for your children. Notice that both of them are aimed at our children. Verse 8, you shall tell your son on that day. Verse 14, when in time to come your son asks you, what does this mean? He's anticipating there's going to be a time to come when children, teenagers, are going to look up at their parents and be like, this is awkward. This is dumb. What are we doing? I don't understand. Why are we doing this? Their very own children are going to wake up in the promised land. They're going to look around them, and they're going to see their parents engaging in these rituals, in these rhythms, and they're going to say, what are we doing? I thought we've been here the whole time. This is home, isn't it? Gospel amnesia. When we forget where we came from, we won't understand where we are. When we forget the true story of who we once were, 
we will inevitably buy into a different lesser story of who we are now. Y'all, this is exactly what, what God says later in Deuteronomy 6. Listen to this. Listen to how God is addressing this very reality, this very dynamic. He says, When the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, to give to you, then listen to this, with great and good cities that you didn't build, and houses full of good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget that the Lord brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. That's incredible, isn't it? He's saying you're going to get there. And when your stomachs are full and life is easy, you'll think that you've been there the whole time. And you'll forget me. You'll forget where you came from. When we forget the true story of where we came from and who we once were, we will inevitably buy into a different, lesser story of who we are right now. And and it's not an Old Testament problem, is it? We see this over and over again in the New Testament. It's apparently a New Testament problem, too. This is what Paul wrote to the Ephesian church in Ephesians 2. He said, Therefore, remember... Remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Remember who you were. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ that brings you near will not mean much to you unless you remember that you once were far off. He's saying, remember where you came from. Secondly, he's saying, remember who you belong to. Remember whose you are. That's what this ritual of the redeeming of the firstborn is aimed at helping them remember. In verses 1 and 2 and then verses 11 through 16, it's kind of strange, got to admit, God instructs them to consecrate or to set apart all the firstborn animals and sons among them. He says, all that first opens the womb is mine. He's saying here, every firstborn animal and every firstborn son belongs to me. He's saying, I've got the receipt. I've got the paperwork. I'm the rightful owner. My name's on the title. They belong to me. They're mine. Now, why does God make a big, deal about, a big deal about this? What does this mean? Why is he saying that specifically all the firstborn belong to him? Well, it's because of what happened just a few chapters ago in, 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 with, with the 10th plague when God came down in judgment on Egypt. And what happened? He killed all the firstborn of the Egyptians, animals and human. Which means, you know what happens when God comes down in judgment? Do you know what happens when God draws near to you in judgment? Only one of two things. When God arrives to judge, you're either dead or you're redeemed. You're either condemned or you're rescued. There's only two options. There's not a third option. You're either dead or you're bought. 
And God is saying, that night, that terrible, bloody, traumatic night, I bought you with the price of blood that wasn't yours. I passed over you. And because you're still alive, because you're still breathing, it means that you belong to me. You're mine. Now, maybe you're thinking, well, that, maybe that means something for the firstborn, but what about the other siblings? Does, does God not care about the other siblings? What about the other sons and daughters? Well, think about this. Back in this ancient culture, the firstborn son represented the whole family. All of the, all of the future and destiny of the family was wrapped up in the firstborn son. He was the center of gravity of the family. He got everything. He got the whole inheritance. Um, he carried the whole weight of the family's reputation, the family's future and destiny. It was all on the shoulders of the firstborn son. And so do you see what God is communicating here? He's saying, because the firstborn belongs to me, all of you belong to me. <laughs> because he's mine, you're mine. And when a firstborn animal arrives, he gives this instruction. You can, he, 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 wants, he says, I want you to give it back to me as a memory, as a memory aid that none of this belongs to you anyway. It's all mine. When you give back to me the firstborn animal. But then notice when the firstborn son arrives, he says, I want you to redeem it. I want you to buy it, buy him back from me. Pay the price as a reminder, as a memory aid that you belong to me, that you are mine. Now again, why is God making a big deal about this? Why is this so important that it would be the very last thing that God tells his people before they leave? It's because he knows that a day is coming when they're going to wake up in the promised land and they won't remember the true story. And they'll buy into a different lesser story that they belong to themselves. That they're independent. They're free. They can do what they wish. They can worship as they wish. They can live like they want. No one's the boss of me. I belong to me, and I can do what I want. This is my life. I'm the captain of this ship. I belong to me. You know, that sounds very 21st century, doesn't it? it sounds very American, doesn't it? I read a book recently by a guy named Alan Noble, in which he says that this is the fundamental assumption of modern life. It's baked in. I am my own, and I belong to myself. Y'all, it's the air we're breathing. It's the, it's the different and lesser story that we buy into. And Noble goes on to write this, if we are our own, then it's up to us to forge our own identities and to make our own lives significant. But while that sounds empowering, it turns out to be a crushing responsibility, one that actually never delivers on its promise of a free and a full life, but it instead leaves you burned out, depressed, anxious, and alone. When we buy into the different and lesser story that we belong to ourselves, we're buying into a story that's going to dehumanize us and crush us. 
That's why these are the very last words of God to Moses and to the people before they leave. He wants his people to remember whose they are. He wants you to remember that you belong to him, that a price has been paid for your life, and your life is not your own. Peter has the same message when he's writing to the New Testament church in 1 Peter 2, where he writes, remember this, that you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession." So that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Remember who you are. Rub that into your life and live out of the implications. Connect the dots of who you belong to, to every area of your life. You know, the famous first question and answer of the Heidelberg, of the Heidelberg Catechism says exactly this. It asks the believer, what is your only comfort in life and in death? What's your only comfort? That you are not your own, but that you belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to your faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Your only comfort. How have you forgotten that? What different lesser narrative might you be living in this morning? You know, we see this played out in, as, as we close in um, one of my favorite Pixar movies, Toy Story. You remember Toy Story? It, it takes place in the, in the, in the bedroom uh, of, of the, the, the human character in the story that we actually don't meet very often, Andy. But the story is about the, the toys that come alive and, and live their lives animated and interacting with each other when Andy is away. And you remember the two main characters in the story, Woody the cowboy and Buzz Lightyear, the space ranger. You remember? You remember for most of the movie, Woody is trying to convince Buzz Lightyear of who he is, who he really is, that he's, that he's, not, a, he's not the real space ranger. He's just a toy. It's not a real laser. <laughs> There's no such thing as space command. He's actually not after the evil emperor Zerg. He doesn't exist. You're just a toy. This illustration is landing with at least one person in here. <laughs> Woody knows. Woody knows that he's just a toy. He knows that he belongs to Andy. And for most of the movie, he's trying to convince Buzz. He's trying to, to talk him out of that lesser, different narrative that he's living in to get him to buy into the true story of who he is and who he belongs to. And so what, what means the most to Andy and what eventually means the most to Buzz by the end of the, of the movie? It's when they can sit down and, and pick their foot up and look at the, the bottom of their shoe and they see the, that word, Andy. And it reminds them of the true story. But they don't belong to themselves. He's not a real cowboy. He's not a real space ranger. I'm a toy, and I belong to someone. And that gives them meaning and purpose and significance. It reminds them of a true narrative so that they can live their lives out of the true story. And brothers and sisters, may, may the blood of the firstborn that God has marked you with, 
May that do the same thing. He has marked you with the blood of his own firstborn son so that you can look at your own self, at your story, and remember who you are, where you came from, and who you belong to. May that true story continue to animate and push us out into the world where God is calling others by the good news of the gospel. May we not forget it. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for reminding us again of what's true. We pray that you would bless our, our gospel amnesia. We pray that you would enter back into the way that we understand ourselves and the way that we understand our past and present and future. And Lord, reorient us around the good news of the gospel of whose we are where we've come from, and where we are going. Lord, may that, may that be the true fact of our existence, and may we live our lives out of that place for your glory. And we pray this, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen.